Hey everybody, we two dads of Named Grant are hoping you had a Merry Christmas. Grant is back in town from his bougie trip to Europe, and we're busy planning new episodes to keep you entertained, and frankly, to keep us in line. Today's episode is a little bit different, though. I recorded this over the Christmas holiday with somebody who I respect and admire immensely, and I think you'll see why pretty quickly. So, without further ado, here's episode 11 of Two Dads Named Grant. Talking with my wife, Jessica, while recording was different from our normal talking. There's certain things I wouldn't think to ask her that in the context of recording a podcast became kind of obvious. So I guess the first thing that I learned while doing this was that I may not always be listening as well as I think I am. I mean, how obvious is it that as weird as it is for me to imagine being a dad, her world has already changed in ways that, frankly, I can't even imagine. I wake up more frequently now uh, and then also I'm just a little have like a just a dash of insomnia like I'll have lots of vivid dreams which also isn't normal for me lots of them are not happy which yes. is it's a very uh, depressing most dreams. of them and in, involve your demise I've in died some sort. many times <laughs> it's like my brain just knows my greatest fears or desires and <laughs> and um so I, I think that's been one of the unexpected challenges um, has been the I, I, everybody says you don't sleep as well, but I kind of just assumed that with, <laughs> you would with be the being, being such a fantastic sleeper <laughs> that that would not be a problem for me, um, which was just incorrect. Not that it's that important, but we should note here that I've been sleeping just fine. So that that's been a that's been a surprise for me personally. It's yeah. not a surprise in pregnancy in general, I don't think. But um, the dream thing definitely was a surprise. That I kind of thought, yeah, yeah. I just thought people say, you know, oh, you have vivid dreams while you're pregnant, and I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, I don't know. I just felt like that was just something people said, but um, it's not. It's turns been out, really uh, bad. yeah, it turns out that's true. Yeah. So. Here we recount one of my favorite oh, yeah, of her dreams, where she abandons me and some cops to murderous thieves so and then texts me for the Netflix password later on instead of sending for help. And we've all had bad dreams based on unconscious fears and anxieties, but one thing that Jess and I have talked about a lot are our conscious fears as future parents, and there's a lot to worry about. And if anything is going to ruin my sleep, it's probably the fear that I'm going to be a lousy dad. Practically, I think we're pretty similar. So let's talk about... Like little boy aggression. What are you? What are your concerns there? So one of my concerns is just and and I don't want to reference this. I want to exclude the possibility of this being associated with like the Me Too movement. You know, <laughs> like the boys will be boys thing. But there is a phrase that that I think people use a lot of times with little boys, and that's just like, oh, he's all boy. You know, like when they're which I think is a fine phrase. Like I don't want to see, sound like I'm condemning that phrase, but when they're tearing something up or fighting with somebody or something. It's like, right. oh, well, you know, he's just all boy. And and I just don't want to justify aggressive behavior, aggressive in a bad way behavior right. with something like that. I feel like it's just kind of, it's easy to do, but I don't, I don't view that as good in a kid, you know, like, right. I don't know. No. And like, ne- neither do I. Tearing I- things up or... I don't know. Wrestling and stuff like that is fine. Like, I don't want to seem just like totally 
ridiculous. But I just, you know, I, I worry that sometimes, and, and I think I expressed this to you earlier when we were talking, but I think that there's not really the equivalent of that with girls. You know, like, right. oh, she's just being a girl or being girly or whatever. Right. Um, well, I, I think that what you're talking about, and tell me if this is a, a good way of, of phrasing this. We have the benefit of having had this discussion, like, in a two-hour car ride earlier. Right, no, that's true. That's uh, true. So we've covered this ground. I'm not trying to assume too much, I don't think. Uh, I kind of was. But what you're talking about is explaining bad behavior as just male tendency. Right. As opposed to addressing bad behavior directly. Well, and part of the problem to me is, and this is partially, a two, I think, because of us being raised in the church, there's this fear of society and like the way a boy is raised like emasculating him you know like making sure. him sure i have to admit my hackles went up a bit here i'm five seven i love musical theater the poetry of walt whitman and cardigans most of my disposable income in high school went towards my wardrobe and i love cooking except not really grilling i'm not a huge fan of that i dislike pretty much all sports i'm kind of the classic jacob in the jacob medesaw story so yeah this is a bit of a fear for me and I know for some people that fear may come from the church or the cultural South, but for me, it's more just a fear of not fitting in. I worry about passing that kind of outsider status onto my son. And I think you'll feel some of that anxiety play out in my response here. If you ever want to feel kind of awkward and vulnerable, record yourself talking off the cuff, then go listen to it and see how transparent it can be when you get defensive. Sure. I, don't, I don't know. Well, and this I, is, it's ADHD medication in children to stop them from being boys in, right or like the what i would call the the hyper feminization of elementary school age boys where it's like we're not going to let you go outside we're not going to let you pr play you're supposed to sit in your desk and be calm and quiet and no right. child is that way right except me that's exactly how i was and i also want to be clear i don't have that fear like i don't i don't have that fear of emasculating my little kid i don't like if he you know i don't know i just I think well, that is like an underlying concern. I think it. I think it is. Yeah. Well, and if if aggression is treated as aggression itself writ large is bad because I think aggression is really good if it is appropriate aggression or it's channeled towards the right thing. Mm -hmm. You know. And if you look up the word tautology in a dictionary, the sentence I just spoke is right there. And so I I think that like. And this, again, this depends entirely on the kid, right? Maybe our son won't have an aggressive bone in his body, in which case that's fine. Mm -hmm. But if he does, I think that you need to be like, okay, since you're aggressive, here are ways you can be aggressive. And here are our platforms for aggression that are appropriate. And here's how to not, here's the line between aggression and bullying or aggression and anger. And these things we don't want you to, so like they're, they're not all the same thing. So we have to differentiate really carefully. And I, but I'm, I'm with you in the we can't explain bad behavior like, oh, look, he just, you know, hit the cat on the head really hard and the cat is now hurt and running away and scared. Oh, he's a boy. It's like, no, he's hurting a living thing. We got to right. stop that. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's a that's an extreme example. I just want to be really careful of that, you know, that we don't provide excuses for our child's behavior. Right. Or, or excuse right. it just because he's a boy. Like if if I would not accept that behavior from a girl or for just from anybody i don't even care you know just right. from a child like if that or from a person like i don't want to just dismiss it right as i think that's dangerous after this exchange the next question jess and i decided to ask each other for this mutual interview was about traits from our parents that we hoped we would pass down to our little guy 
I think some of my anxiety from the previous section was bleeding into my answer, yeah, though. And you're going to hear two things. First, I go back and forth between self-deprecation and self-aggrandizement to cover for feeling vulnerable. And second, my wife is going to stop me from saying bad things about myself. My general recommendation after listening to this is, one, don't force your partner to do this for you. But two, if you're lucky enough to have a partner who will, then you, like me, should be saying a sincere prayer of gratitude and also make sure to let them know. Yeah, he's kicking me so much. It's fine, it's fine. His ears are burning. So I can be a little socially awkward at times, and I have a, a hard time in some social situations. I don't agree with that. You always say this. You aren't socially awkward. Your mom and I were talking about this over Christmas, and you're you're wrong about it. Okay. I feel socially awkward. Okay. I feel well, awkward I in certain what... social situations. Okay. You're, you I, don't like it. You're uncomfortable. I, that's that, true. But that doesn't mean you're I not like good it. at it. And I assume everyone is, is judging me in the same way I'm judging them, which oh, means God. it's a brutal Nobody situation. is judging you like you're judging everybody else. Anyway, Trust me. Uh, all that to say, my dad is very good in a lot of different social situations, and he can smooth out those social situations very, very well. And he is a good person to have around for that kind of thing. And I know that my, my dad and I are similar in that we both need like our alone time and we both need like moments of introversion and silence that we really kind of thrive on that. But I've, I've always felt as though he is much smoother in the, uh, how can I say this, talking to the hoi polloi than I've been uh, <laughs> to be all bougie about it. Um, that's, that's kind of how I've always felt. From my mom, um... Wait, I'm gonna interrupt you. Okay. Okay, I do think, so, I do think your dad is really great at that. Yeah. I also think you're really great at that. I think that, and this is a point your mom made during our discussion, which I think is a good one. I think your dad gets maybe, like, some energy out of that. Like, the extra, the stereotypical extroversion thing where that, that isn't super draining to him. It may even give him you know, some energy. Whereas for you, you're good at it. But I think you like absolutely <laughs> hate it to, to the core of your being. Right, <laughs> exactly. And it, but that doesn't mean you're bad at it. I just think it, whereas for your dad, I think it's fulfilling to some degree, which I, I mean, I haven't spoken with him about this, so he may listen to yeah, this and just be cursing well, yeah, at yeah, us. But, um, but yeah, no, I think, I think for you, it's not an enjoyable thing. And it's so unpleasant. maybe you hope that for... I can I can do one on one or one on two like conversations and that's okay. Yeah. Anything beyond that and it's just like why are all these people here? <laughs> like do you just assume you're going to get bored with these then why'd you invite them? Okay, oh let's gosh. make them leave. So, anyway, um that's that's kind of what I like to get from my dad. From my mom, it's I guess it's similar. There's a lot of social anxiety, you know, coming up here. Um from my mom, um she is a very thoughtful person in many ways. That's not the trait mm-hmm. that I hope he gets. I hope he's thoughtful, but that's this is not that. I was going to say, she's, let's just, yes. She's yes, really thoughtful, thoughtful. In, in a lot of ways. Um, but one way, she doesn't overanalyze her conversations with people in the sense that she's very genuine. When she's talking to you, she's talking to you and she's seeing you. It's so true. And yes. it's, it's not very, I guess the word I'm looking for is calculating and kind of like a, a Machiavellian or a um, you know a Iago kind of way. I have no Iago. I I don't know what that is. What um, are you talking about? Calculating in a villainous way. Okay. Um. So that's kind of when I'm when I'm having a conversation with someone, especially someone I don't know, I am. I'm rarely listening to the person. 
I'm more thinking about not only what am I going to say next, but like how can I analyze this conversation and either get out of it or move on to a topic that's semi, it's, it's not very genuine. It feels like to me, it's too calculated. And so my mom's not that way at all. When she talks to someone, she's talking to them and she's invested in the person. And that's kind of a top to bottom trait for her is whether it's somebody she's just met and is going to talk like the, the cashier at a grocery store, when they're talking to her, it's like nothing is rehearsed or routine. It's all just like, you're saying these words and I'm hearing you and I'm speaking back to you. Mm -hmm. And that level of genuineness I don't know anyone who has it like my mom has it. And I also don't know how you, I don't know how to teach it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not very good at it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hoping that's just like a genetic thing that skipped a generation and, and that little man's going to get it. That's my goal. So that's a good one. That's the answer, that's the answer to that her. question. Yeah. The reverse question I think is appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, what about from your parents, from your mom and dad? What What traits do you hope that... Ugh. that a little man gets. I hadn't thought about this and there's so many. Um, so from my mom, my mom is just a really joyful person and she laughs a lot and smiles a lot and, and it's contagious <laughs> with her. Yeah. Like she just brings joy to a room wherever she is and I, I have always just loved that about her. It made growing up with her fun, you know, mm-hmm. um, because we just laughed a lot and she can laugh at herself and we can all laugh at each other and she has a contagious laugh and I just all of that I love so so much about her and I hope that I hope that he is the type of person who like her makes a room more energized and just joyful Mm -hmm. you know instead of there are you know instead of being a person who brings us a somberness or something I'm sorry okay you You don't have to (laughs) I'm not about you She's trying to use oh the podcast gosh. for no wow i just you know I, I think most people come into a room and the room basically stays the same i you know what i mean yeah like they they don't have a large measure either way if that makes sense right but my mom definitely brings a joy and yeah. a light to yeah. wherever she is what about your padre oh man um my dad i would have to say well first of all he's super wise he's a very wise man um that's why his hair turned gray so early <laughs> and um but i think that the thing that i'd have to say for him is being a good listener um my dad is such a good listener mm. and i know because i've talked his ear off <laughs> on many an occasion um but so that's probably the one for my dad. Uh, and, but also just not only being a good listener, because I think of this as part of being a good listener, is he responds in a just very helpful way across right. all conversations and moods and occasions. It's like he just knows what to say and how to bring comfort in particular. Uh, and so he's just very easy to talk to and he is – a person who always makes you feel like, okay, this situation may be really crappy, but um, it's going to be all right. And, you know, like a just like right. a peace-giving person. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I hope that, that he's like that. See, I thought I thought you were going to say music. Um, I mean, well, yeah, but I don't think of that as like a – I mean, it is a trait, I guess. But mm. that's like a trait and as everybody in my family loves music. Everybody, like – I, I, I don't even hope that for this kid. I, like, expect it for this child. Like, if he <laughs> if he can't carry a tune in a bucket, like, we are going to have a problem. Like, 
We're still gonna love our child <laughs> if he can't sing. For the for everyone who's listening, <laughs> slightly less, but we'll still love him. Oh we'll boy. love him. It won't be it won't be one of those things we'll that you love in spite of. We don't have to like him. Just, just have to feed him till he's eighteen. People are gonna think we're terrible. We're ah, joking. Mostly. Mostly. The next thing we talk about was actually the original idea for this episode. When Grant and I started this podcast, we talked a lot about narratives and the kind of men we want to be and the kind of men we want our sons to be. We did a lot of talking early on about how the old ideas of masculinity, the Ward Cleaver types, they don't really cut it anymore. And since those narratives have largely dissolved, sometimes very much for the better, there's an absence of something to fill their space. But it may be that in some cases we were a bit unfair to the men of the past. There are men in my family, and in Grant's too, who didn't use those readily available stereotypes or narratives as a crutch for their behavior. They were, and in some cases are, the kind of men who I'd still be very proud to be. Jess has a lot of men like that in her family too, and she and I both wanted an opportunity to talk about them. In the next section, we talk about three men in her family. Her dad's dad, who is just known as Grandpa, her mom's dad, who they called Pop, and her dad, Andy, who I call Pa. Since, to my knowledge, there's not really a good nickname for your father-in-law, and the man is just too stately for me to call Andy. I may try that when I turn 40. Maybe. Um, so, my grandpa was just a hysterical man. Um, I, My two favorite stories that I think best give a picture of who he was. Um, one of them is when I went to college in Texas from Georgia. It was the first time I had gone outside the state for more than a week, you know, on right. vacation. Um, and was very far away and all of my family is in Georgia. And he never expressed just outright concern for my going far away, but the way that he kind of communicated that and tried to take care of me, which is very like him, was I was on my way to Texas for my first year of college with all mm -hmm. my things in tow. And I got a phone call from my grandpa. And I answered it. And he's he had always been very into ancestry and genealogy and all of that. And he had used his many resources that he'd found over the years to find for me um, relatives in Texas. And I use the term relatives loosely because it turns out it was a fifth cousin <laughs> named Bina, which I, like you can marry mm. your fifth cousin, you know, like in every state. Right. Like, yeah. um, but she and Bina. he said, uh, Jessica, I have found a fifth cousin and uh, she's going to call you in a minute. I've given I've given her your number and she's going to call you and. You know, uh, she's expressed to me that she hopes if anything happens or you need anything while you're in Texas, while you're at school, that you just will give her a call. Well, she was, you know, in Texas. But Texas is huge. She was like seven hours away <laughs> from where I was going to be in school. That's halfway home, you know. I mean, but it was the sweetest gesture. And, and sure enough, I hung up with Grandpa. And about five minutes later, she called. She was a precious woman, uh, educator. Not a surprise for my family. And, Even um, fifth cousins. The roots yeah, are strong. Bina. Good old Bina. Good old Bina. Thanks, Grandpa. Um, it was truly such, it was such an endearing thing. And, yeah. and he did so many things like that. Um, the other thing was once I got to school and, you know, settling in in my lovely dorm built in the, I don't know, 70s, 80s, I don't know, Gardner Hall. What do you think about it? Yeah. Not a good time, whatever, architecturally, whenever it was. And 
they had, I guess, every few years in Abilene, uh, there are probably some people listening who who know better, but a swarm of, of crickets, like an actual plague yes. of crickets. And that my freshman year was one of those lucky years. And so as they do, the crickets came. And I was on the top floor of my dorm, and there was some type of hole in the roof or something. And these crickets were dropping into my dorm room from the roof and also coming in from the window there was a large light outside my window and so our room was just infested with crickets it was disgusting big time nightlife it was disgusting um and i was so frustrated because it felt like nobody was going to do anything about it so grandpa called me he heard about it from my dad and said jessica i heard that you have crickets grandpa was an engineer and he was an engineer to the core of his being he was just so smart and inventive and um, his suggestion to me, because it was a problem, and what you do with problems is you you solve them. Right, right. Was to get a hold of a vacuum. He asked if I had a vacuum. Um, and I said no, but we had one in our dorm. And he said, get the hose to the vacuum, open the window, stick it out the window, and suck all of the crickets up outside my window near the light. Just suck them right up. And then he said, but be sure to put the, plug the hose back onto the vacuum so they don't crawl out. But, that right. Was, um, which... I just loved so much that he spent time thinking about, you know. It was a first draft idea. Right, exactly. (laughs) It was. I think, I don't think my dad had clearly communicated to him just how many crickets there were, you know. Probably billions of How many. Right. So, but it was the (laughs) sweetest thing. He was like, oh, my granddaughter has this problem. I will call her with a solution for the problem, (laughs) you know. Um, So those are just some of the things that I love about grandpa. And I hope that he is, I hope our little dude is. Uh, inventive and has the ingenuity that that grandpa had. Yeah, you know. Well, and not all of his ideas were as um, unhelpful, I would guess, as the the cricket idea because he he did deal with other critters effectively. Oh, right. Yes. Um. He had a squirrel problem at his home. He he was a major bird watcher. Loved them and had lots of bird feeders. Mm-hmm. And the squirrels kept climbing up and getting into his bird feeders. So he electrified the bird feeders, uh, so that the squirrels would be shocked on their way up. Well, he electrified them with little too much current, um, which he found out the first time that a squirrel tried to climb up the bird feeder, it just kind of, well, it it died. It died. That's short. That's the short and less gruesome version of that story, which he he felt bad about and turned it down, obviously. Um, but anyway, so that that was Grandpa. Yeah, yeah. killing some squirrels and. Uh, e- he had a personal grudge against certain squirrels as well, didn't he? There's a lot of squirrel well, stories. There, with there your grandpa. are, you know, Shazad. there really were. Um, he, there were. So it was the same type of thing, I believe. That more squirrels were getting into his bird feeders, and he was convinced. I mean, just convinced that it was the same dang squirrels. You know, <laughs> like the same squirrels coming back to terrorize his precious bird feeders. So um, he actually caught them. And I, I want to say it was like a raccoon trap or something that right. hunters use. I have no idea. Anyway, um, and spray painted their tails, okay? Spray painted the squirrel's tails so he would know if they came back and then took them miles away from his home, I think to a park or something, and dropped them off. Um, lo and behold, they did not find their way back to, you know, the paradise that's, that was my good. grandpa's backyard. There's bird feeders everywhere. <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, so Grandpa, he was just... He just had so many ideas, you know? I mean, yeah. I and mean, that was I kind of the nature it. of his personality, too. Was, it was. There's a problem. I'm going to have an idea, and then I'm going to actually build it and do it. We're going to yes. try it. Yes. That's definitely a trait that I hope our little man has. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, when we went over to his home to clean it out after he'd passed away, there we opened the closet off of his garage. And when we did and flipped on the light switch, this radio started blaring, like, so loud. It was extremely startling <laughs> to all of us who were there. And, you know, he he did that either to remind himself when he'd failed to turn off the light because, you know, only a bad person would ra- waste electricity. Could be, could be. Right? Or, you know, if there were an intruder who was trying to break into the garage to alert him of that. I don't know. He had some yeah, reason, true. you know, that but the radio was connected to the it. light switch or to scare us, you know, in that, in that time. I don't know. But I had the honor and pleasure of getting to know Jess's grandpa, her dad's dad, who we could probably tell stories about for hours. He was a serious character and a wonderful man, but I didn't really get the chance to know her mom's dad, Pop. Before Jess and I started dating, a group of our friends went over to her Pop and Nana's house for dinner, so I met him, but I didn't really get to talk to him that much. Even so, from meeting him that one time and from getting to know Jess's Nana and from seeing the effect that her Pop had on her whole family, it's really easy to tell he was a wonderful man and the kind of man that I hope my son is. So I had a very special relationship with my pop. And so I just adore everything about him, basically. But I would say there there are a few things that just stick out to me in my mind that best describe the person he was. And I think some of the things that we all loved so dearly about him, one of them was that he, kind of like my mom, honestly, was just fun and brought a lot of laughter and joy to a room and he he just made the most of moments and I recall several times that he would just turn the radio or the stereo on loud and tell us to get up and dance with him in the living room I we danced many times to I don't know if this is actually the name of the song but sugar pie honey bunch which is was what we danced to for our first dance at our wedding for that reason um and I I loved that about him and he was also. Did you say at our first wedding? No, I th- it was our first. Did I say our first wedding? I, don't I thought know. I said first dance we'll at our to, wedding. You you may have. And oh, my God. mind was playing that back in my yes, head. Yes, well, at our first wedding. <laughs> We're gonna have one. Just, just one. Um, and then another thing was that he was quietly sentimental. I don't think he really wanted everybody to know how sentimental he was, but he was just. I don't know. He he did. He valued. All of us so much and I felt so deeply loved by him yeah if he loved you you knew it you know um and one time Nana loves to tell this story but uh we had all been over at their house for Christmas Eve as we always were and they had a big glass coffee table and Nana was cleaning up after we'd all left and apparently this is when we were small and all of our little fingerprints and handprints were all over the glass coffee table and Nana got out like the Windex or something to spray it and he said no 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 Loretta don't spray it just leave it like that for a while and um that's such a pop thing because he would never say like no look at those fingerprints don't wipe those away or don't you know he would never even explain probably why but but that was like him and then my final kind of story that I think is indicative of who he was and also just makes me laugh was he him and nana took me and my cousin to disney world it was our first time at least that i can remember 
down to Disney World and somehow, this is before cell phones, so I should preface with that, but <laughs> Nana and my cousin Caitlin got separated from me and Pop in, I think it was Magic Kingdom somewhere. And so we could not find one another. During the duration of this separation, me and Pop, um, we went on rides. We every ride, and I remember them. I remember going on some like little roller coaster thing, some haunted house thing, and we had the best time and laughed and played. And he just wasn't worried about it, you know. Right. Like he was like, "We'll find him. It's fine. Even if we meet him back at the hotel, whatever." Well, the whole time Nana and Caitlin were walking around the Magic Kingdom crying, like weeping, <laughs> because they didn't know where we were. And Pop was just laid back and easygoing and just, you know, and we yeah. enjoyed that time. And uh, I don't even think when Nana told him that, that she'd been crying and trying to find us that he even felt bad. He was like, well, why didn't you spend that time doing stuff with Caitlin? You know, like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> um, and so, so yeah, those are just some things about Pop that, that I loved. Okay. Are you ready to talk about your dad? Oh gosh, am I ready to talk about my dad? Um, I have great in-laws, which is one of those sentences that if it's been said at all, hasn't been said very often. Talking about Jess's dad is interesting since he's kind of a man for all seasons, a, a renaissance man out of time. He's recently retired, but he was a data architect. That's cool sounding and also I don't know actually what it is. He loves and has a deep knowledge of classical music. He enjoys sports, is kind to his wife and all of his children. He's an excellent role model in any number of capacities. I could say similarly kind things about my mother-in-law, but this episode is about men, so she unfortunately gets left out. But that said, it's always been a goal of mine to be all things to all people, which is to say that I want to be approachable, knowledgeable, interesting to, and more importantly, interested in other people. Pa, Andy, is all of those things. When I things. was younger, my dad, and this was after much begging, we were, I believe, in Tennessee visiting my cousin, Caitlin, who I've mentioned already. She's one of my dearest friends. And we wanted so badly to go shopping. We were probably eight or nine. And no one wanted to take us shopping, which we found very disappointing. And so we begged and pleaded and begged and pleaded. And finally, my dad said, okay, I'll take y'all to Old Navy, but we're not buying anything, you know. And and that was fine with us. Really, it was. We just wanted to go try things on. We love to do that. So went to Old Navy. And as we were wont to do, we got a bunch of things to try on and put on some sort of fashion show, you know, for dad, who I'm sure was just enthralled by the whole thing. And, and showed him all the clothes that we'd picked out and all of that. And at the end of it, we were like, okay, like that's it. You know, we're ready to go. And dad looked at us and he was like, pick out your favorite thing. I'll buy all each your favorite outfit. And, and my dad being, you know, it's tough to explain because he's a very frugal person. And he's <laughs> very responsible financially. And I think I am so much better off for that. But there were times like those, like just moments where he surprised you, you know. Yeah. And... And, and taught you simultaneously that money wasn't the most important thing and, and that he enjoyed 
I don't know, just spoiling every now and then yeah. us and surprising us like that. And and that was just the sweetest thing. I still I still remember that outfit. I remember everything about it that he bought <laughs> that he bought me. What did he buy you? I'm curious. Um, it was a skirt that was peach and white checkered. You know, so in vogue, <laughs> and then a matching peach shirt. I don't remember what Caitlin. We'll have got. to ask her if she. Remembers. I know she probably doesn't, but but I just and I remember I wore it on numerous occasions. Later, I remember times that I wore it. I mean, it was just one of my favorite outfits ever, uh, and so that was really special. And then also, my dad is an amazing trip planner. <laughs> Like he's just, he enjoys that and then enjoys watching the people he loves enjoy the fruits of his labor. And when I was in college, he took me to Savannah and it was just a trip for me and him. And we had the most fantastic time. We ate at the best restaurants. We went to the market and shopped and he bought me sunglasses and a really pretty ring and and we got candy and chocolate together and, and just did everything that we enjoyed. And, and and the thing is, when I think back on that trip, most of the things we did revolved so clearly around me and what I liked, you know? Right. And I, you would never have even known it because of how much he enjoyed it with me. And he so enjoyed watching me enjoy those things, I think. Um, but even though it was kind of all about how I would choose to spend my time and maybe not what he would first choose to do in Savannah, you know. Um, he loved it because I loved it. Recording this with Jess was too easy. Even in our practice conversations in the car, I knew her honesty and affability would be perfect for the podcast. So it should come as no surprise that I needed to put my foot in my mouth. My dad and I have always been a bit consumed by the concept of death and legacy. We both find it interesting on academic and personal levels. It might seem macabre, but there's a relationship between life and legacy, action and memory, something of the eternal in the mundane and the everyday. And while I may think about that a lot, I think it's my wife who really gets it. Okay, I have one surprise question for you. Okay. Do you have another story about your dad? No, that's it. I have I have a surprise question for you. So I'm curious. We've talked some about the ways that you think of and remember the men who've been formative in your life. And I'm curious about what you hope little man would say about you as the way that you were formative in his life. Oh, gosh. I'm going to cry. I really am. Um... Be really emotional. It's okay. We don't. We don't have to. No, do this. it's okay. I know. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. Um. Um. I hope you would say a lot of the same things about me that that I have said about the men who were important in my childhood. Um, which is that, you know, I taught him responsibility and all those really important traits, but most of all that he just felt loved, um, as he was and that, that we always believed that he is capable, 
and could do what he wanted to do, but that we didn't lie to him about what's, what he's good at and what he's not good at. Because I don't, I don't love the whole, like, you can do just anything that You're you want. For being like, there were times that I remember my dad being like, I remember performing once when I was younger. And it was with my best friend, Kate. We performed uh, Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy, okay? <laughs> and we'd put it together really last minute. And dad was like, yeah, that was good. That was really good. You can kind of tell that it was a last minute thing, but it was good. And I would be like, what? You know, but I'm so grateful because I knew no matter what he said that he meant what he was saying to me. Yeah, and compliments parents, mean more, right? parents, understandably, and I'm sure I will be this way, see their kid through rose-colored lenses, you know. But I, I want him to know that we believe that he's capable and that all his gifts and talents you know, can be combined and used and grown to do something really wonderful and to never feel like he's trying to prove to us that he has some ability or right. you know um and just i I've, I've said this already but just that he feels secure and loved and able to talk with us about things uh and also that we just made life fun that we made growing up fun yeah that's important to me and that our home always felt like somewhere he could bring people. That was that was true for me growing up is we had people over. My mom was so, so glad to just have a huge group of people right. at her house always. And I loved that. And I'm sure it made life difficult and for her sometimes, but I never knew it, you know, because she just she just loved that. Well, in the trade-off is she knew where you were and who you were with and what <laughs> right. y'all were doing. <laughs> right, right, which honestly didn't even Security occur to aspect. me. Right, it didn't yeah. even occur to me. I was just like, geez, Mom, thanks so much for, like, being so cool about this all the time. Yeah. Um, and so I hope that I hope that that's something that he says about us. And also that, like, you know, that we – that the way that we lived our lives was was something that he – was a way that he'd want to live his. Like, you know, that we worked hard and that we um, – I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. It does. But just kind of like in the day-to-day, like in the mundane things that we lived in a way that that he would be proud to live to. People often use the phrase better half as kind of a joke, but for this episode, I think it's pretty clear that I owe a major debt of gratitude to my literal better half. Jessica, happy seventh anniversary, and thanks for making this episode possible. Two Dads Named Grant is a podcast where two guys named Grant try to figure out how to be better dads and husbands by first just being better men. Thanks for listening.